welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. I am the pastor of discipleship here at the church and the primary preacher of this service here. Uh, Blake often does this thing whenever I'm doing, oh yeah, kids, y'all can go. I'll go back with Karen and Ren and all them. Uh, Blake does this thing whenever I do the announcement video where he sits there and he'll just rapidly take as many pictures as he can to try to get me doing an awkward face, like, or just some, whatever pause it ends up being. And so it was really good, the, the little mishap before the prayer, it was actually perfect for me because it paused right at the perfect uh, weird face Blake moment. And so I would just like to thank our AV team for, and the Lord for that wonderful <laughs> moment that I was able to capture. It really meant a lot to me. Uh, we are in the middle of our Pursuing Perfection sermon series. That's the image of our series on the screen. And we're talking about how the world often puts a projection of what it means to be perfect on our lives. And oftentimes we think being perfect is almost like this 1950s reader digest cover of what being a perfect family is like. And how we're always striving to be after this perfect family. And especially in kind of our suburban culture and the culture that is pushed around us to be perfect in every aspect of our lives. And so as we looked at what culture says about what it means to be perfect and what it means and the pressures that are put on us. We're also looking at the call of God in our lives to pursue holiness, to pursue sanctification, that the command of Jesus to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect is also a promise of the power of God in our lives. And so we're looking at what is it that we should pursue. And this week we're going to be spending some time looking at are we fleeing the things of the world or are we pursuing after them? Are we fleeing or pursuing? Our scripture today is going to be in Jeremiah chapter 17, if you have your Bibles with you. Jeremiah 17, verses 1 through 4, says this. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool, inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Even their children... Remember their altars and their Asherah poles, besides the spreading trees and on the high hills. My mountain and the land and your wealth and all your treasures I will give away as plunder, together with your high places because of your sin throughout your country. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know. For you have kindled my anger and it will burn forever. This isn't really one of those chippy, cheery passages that we find in scripture. This is one of those, those judgment passages that we see in the prophetic books. And it's important to read these as well because in the prophetic books, what the prophetic books do is they shine a light to the darkened areas of our lives that we often ignore or don't want to look at. The purpose of prophecy and the purpose of the prophetic books is to shine those lights into those darkened areas, to speak the truth that the people needed to hear, even if it wasn't what the people wanted to hear. 
And so today we're going to be looking about how this prophecy against Judah can also speak truth into us thousands of years later. And the question before us today is, are we truly fleeing worldly sin and idolatry, or are we pursuing after it? Are we truly fleeing from sin, or are we pursuing after it? So today we're looking at these sins and these things of the world that we have made idols out of. When I was in seminary, they they taught me this word called syncretism. And it's basically the blending of religions. And what he talked about is in the Old Testament, in Israel, in Judah at this time, when we talk about idols, often what we think of is they stopped worshiping Yahweh in favor of worshiping idols. That's often how we think about it. But the reality is a bit more complicated than that. What they practiced was what was called syncretism, which is I'm going to worship Yahweh as God, but I'm also going to worship Baal and Asherah over here. That I'm going to make sure that I have all of my bases covered, that I'm not just going to exclusively worship Yahweh, I'm not going to exclusively worship God, I'm going to worship these gods over here. And the reason for that is it was a largely agrarian society. They're, they mainly were farmers. And so the important thing for farmers is making sure that the rain comes and that you have kids to be able to work the land with you. And so what were Baal and Asherah? Baal was the storm god, the god of rain, the god who would make sure that rains would come down on your land. Baal was also the god of fertility, So I had to make sure that I worshiped Baal so that way the rains could come and that way I could have kids. And then Asherah was also a fertility goddess. And so together, rather than putting their full trust in Yahweh, they said, you know what, I really, really need to make sure that rain comes because if it don'ts, my family is going to starve. So let me just worship these idols over here as well. Let me get all my bases covered. And the language of scripture here is that Judah's sin is engraved, engraved on their heart with an iron tool, that it's inscribed with the flint point. It's this image of the sin of these people being chiseled onto their hearts. That that's how deeply ingrained the sin was in Judah. That's how permanent their sin was. And so in looking at idolatry, and looking at the Baals and the Asherahs in our own lives, and how we so often do the exact same thing that Israel did, We don't abandon the Lord. We don't abandon Jesus. We don't abandon the Holy Spirit. We say, you know what? Jesus, Holy Spirit, God the Father, you're all great. But this is great as well. Let me give my heart over to you and this idol as well. And so what is idolatry? It's often one of those church words that we throw around a lot. I like Wesley's definition of idolatry. He says this, and to give our heart To any other is plain idolatry. Accordingly, whatever takes our heart from him or shares it with him is an idol. In other words, whatever we seek happiness in, independent of God. So the question is then, well, how do we know, Jeremy, what the difference is between an idol and just something that we enjoy doing? What's the difference between a blessing that God has given us and an idol? And as I was thinking and pondering that question this week, I think a good litmus test is if God asked you to fast from it for a season, could you do it? Would you be willing to give it to him? 
Or if God asked you to give it up, would you be willing to do that? Or does your heart immediately go, no, 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 I can't give that to you. I need that. That's mine. Off limits, Lord. Because the root of idolatry is a matter of our heart. Are our hearts fully over to the Lord? Or are we splitting our allegiances many different ways? The world in Jeremiah said that worship of Baal and Asherah was all right to do on top of Yahweh worship. That the culture around them said that it's perfectly acceptable to do both of these at the same time. And you have the prophet Jeremiah come in and say, no, only worship the Lord your God. And same time, we have these culturally accepted idols in our midst that it's okay to give our hearts to these things as well as the Lord. The idols of our beauty, our success at work, our GPA, how much money we have, our reputation, how others perceive us, our kids' success in sports, these idols that we have given our hearts over to. And these aren't inherently bad things, but it's about the disposition of our heart. Is our heart given over to these things? Are we worshiping both the Lord and these idols? To give you an example, uh, when I was an undergrad, uh, it was my first time being out of the house, first time having freedom, and I'm a PK, so every Sunday that I wasn't sick or on vacation, we were at church every single Sunday. And uh, when I went to college, I went a little lax in going to church, you could say, Uh, especially during football season. So the church that I went to was an Assemblies of God church. Their services were about an hour and a half, and they had an 8 o'clock service or an 11 a.m. service. And being a college student, an 8 o'clock service was like the bane of my existence. But I would say, you know what, Lord, I'm not going to go to the 11 o'clock service because we'll get out at 1230, I'll get home around 1, and by that time I've really missed the first quarter of the Texans game. So what I'll do is I will be a good college student. I will be the best college student. I will wake up early for you, Lord. I will wake up at 8 a.m., I will go to church, and then I will come home and watch the Texans game. Uh, In reality, that didn't happen. I think I would maybe go once or twice during the football season. But you know what I never made sure I missed? I made sure I never missed a Texans game. And I could never even miss just the first quarter of a Texans game, because that would be just the worst thing in the world. And I'd done that for a few years, and I remember my junior year, I felt the Lord say to me, hey... Uh, you've made an idol out of football. I want you to fast from football this season and don't watch the Texans and go to church instead. And my heart was like, no, no, Lord, I can't do that. That's what I do for entertainment. That's how me in Arkansas, that's how I connect to my people back home. Don't you know how much I love the Texans? Don't you know how much joy they give me? He said, give it to me and go to church instead. Another example Uh, was in seminary, Uh, what I had often done was when my anxiety would happen, when I would have panic attacks, what I would do was go and play video games as a way to kind of distract my mind and do something different. And I felt the Lord as he was calling me to get healing from my anxiety. He also called me to fast from video games. So Jeremy, you've been running to this your whole life. You've been using this to mask up the fear instead of dealing with the issue that I want to deal with. You've made video games an idol, and that is what you flee to, and that is what you run to in moments of crisis instead of to me. And I was like, no, no, Lord, I can't give that up. 
Don't you know that's my safety blanket? Don't you know that's my comfort? Don't you know that that is the thing that I need in order to survive what's going on in my life? I had turned it into an idol. And the point is that these things aren't bad. It's not bad to watch the Texans, although they are bad and it wouldn't be enjoyable. <laughs> but it's not sinful to watch the Texans. It's not sinful to play video games. The point is not that they're bad, but rather that I had given my heart over to these things. I had sought them for comfort. I had sought them for joy. I had sought them for things that only God could truly satisfy. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Sometimes our idols are sinful, like sexual morality or pornography, that we go to them to mask things and mask hurts in our lives, but sometimes it's just a misplaced love in our life. Jeremiah 17.2 says this. As I was reading and preparing for the scripture for this week, this verse stood out in my mind, or in my, in my readings. It says this, Even their children remember their altars and their Asherah poles. Even their children remember their altars and their Asherah poles. And when I read it, the Lord just spiritually hit me in the face our children see our idolatry. Our children see what we truly worship. I mean, what a sobering reality that is. And if we're going to be a church who pursues the future that God wants for us, to pursue the good things that God wants for us, to pursue where God is calling us, we have to be a people who are willing to surrender our idols to him. Jesus gets at the heart of this in Luke's gospel, chapter 16. Jesus says this, Luke 16, starting in verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or love the other. Or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus he said to them, you are the one who, Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in sight of the Lord. That you cannot serve two masters. That that is at the root and the heart of idolatry. It's dividing our loyalty. It's dividing our heart between God and the things of this world. That we cannot serve both Baal and Yahweh because they make conflicting demands on our lives. Let's take money, for instance, that Luke talks about, or that Jesus talks about here in Luke. God's call on our lives is to be a people of generosity, to take care of the widow and the orphan and the poor, to take care of the least and the lost, and to use our financial resources to do that. The call of idolatry of the love of money, the love of money is more, 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 more. That's just an example. 
But idols conflict with the call of God in our lives. So the question today is, are we content with holding on to our idols? Are we content to be a people who hold on to our idols? Oftentimes in my own life, I know that my answer tends to be, yeah, I kind of am. You know, when the Lord spoke to me about giving up video games, I said, no, Lord, you can't take that from me. Don't you know all that this gives me? Don't you know how this helps me? Why are you asking me to give this up? Don't you know that I can't face my anxiety without this? Why are you asking this of me? I was content to hold on to my idols. And in the people in Jeremiah in 17, we're willing to do the same. That's the tragedy of the prophetic books. As the prophet comes to Israel and Judah and says, repent, stop sinning, turn your hearts back to the Lord, give up your idols and the Lord will relent of this impending judgment upon you. And the people said, no, let me keep my Baal, let me keep my Asherah pole. I would rather hold on to that than let it go. That is the great tragedy of the Old Testament, that they would rather hold on to their idols than repent and give them up and trust fully in the Lord. That's the call of God in our lives to repent and give our idols over to him. But so oftentimes we just love keeping on to them because they comfort us. They provide us something that we don't believe God can provide. They worship Baal, the storm God, because they wanted to make sure the rain comes because we can't fully trust if Yahweh will make the rain come. You need to pray to the fertility God to make sure that we actually have children because we can't fully trust if Yahweh will do that either. Friends, don't waste your life holding on to these idols. Don't waste your life holding on to these idols, these sins, these things that we so often and so easily replace with God. Because what God wants for us is so much better than anything any idol can offer. What God wants for us is so much better than what any idol can offer. This is my first uh, sermon illustration of my puppy. You should be very proud of me. We've had him for about nine months, and uh, this is my first sermon illustration about him. So y'all should be very, very proud of me. I feel like, uh, round of applause, please. I was very, very uh, disciplined in not doing any puppy illustration. So this is my sweet boy, Winston, my sweet king, my sweet little boy, he is amazing. He loves to do this thing. When we let him out of the crate, he has this little sleeping buddy and he'll take it in his mouth and he'll just start running all around and we don't want him to tear up his sleeping buddy because it comforts him when he sleeps. And so we say, Winston, no, you can't play with that. And he's like, I gotta play with it. I have to play with it. And so we'll give him a ball and we'll try to throw him the ball and he'll run after the ball and he'll be like, oh, I want that, I want the ball. And then he'll get to the point and he'll just kind of stop and he'll be looking at the ball, and he'll kind of look down at what's in his mouth because he wants the ball and he wants the thing in his mouth as well. He wants to hold on to it and not let go, and he has to make this decision, am I going to let go of the thing I'm not supposed to have in order to grab onto the thing that is being given and offered to me? And that's what it's like with our idols so many times. That the future that God wants to give us is our ball. The good things, the bright future that God wants for us. 
living into the reality of the kingdom of God. That is the future that God wants for us. But what we often want to do is hold on to both and try to put both in our mouth at the same time, and we just can't. We can't do it. So we need to be not like Winston. Don't be like Winston. We need to be willing to release these idols in our lives, to grab a hold of the future that God wants for us. The future that God desires for us is bright, and we cannot fully realize it unless we let go of our idols. The future God wants for us is bright, and we can't fully realize it unless we let go of the idols, because we'll always be limited. Our idols will always limit us. Winston likes to do this thing as well. I didn't get a picture of it. Uh, we have these pillows that he loves to just chew on and, I don't know, do dog-like things with. Uh, and he'll grab onto it, and me and Erica are sitting on the couch, and Winston's like, you know what, I really want to be on the couch with you. But you know what I also want to do? I also want to bring this pillow up with you so I can play with the pillow. But Winston's a small dog, and the pillows are bigger than him. And so he'll keep it in his mouth, and he'll jump up, but the pillow in his mouth prevents him from being able to jump up and join us on the couch. But he'll try and he'll try and he'll try. And eventually he has to get to a point where he says, do I want to spend time with Jeremy and Erica or do I want to hold on to this pillow? And our idols are like that, that they prevent us from fully being with the Lord, from fully being with all that God wants for us, that it will always limit us. And in light of the cross, in light of what Jesus has done for us, in light of what Jesus came to do who died on a cross and rose again, that we might not just be, get a ticket to heaven, but we might be set free. That we might live into the new life that Jesus came, not just to give us tickets to heaven, but to give us fullness of life and abundant life. That if we truly want to live in the light of the cross and in the light of the resurrection, we need to be people who cast down our idols before the Lord and grab a hold of the life that he wants for us. My life verse that the Lord has impressed on me is Luke 4. Luke 4, 17 through 19. This is talking about Jesus. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, if we want to be a people of revival, if we want to be a people who are transformative in our community, if we want to be a people who are bringing the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit into every aspect of our lives, we need to be a people who cast down our idols and grab a hold of this future that God wants for us. A future where God pours out his spirit on us in a mighty and powerful way like he did in Pentecost. Where people are not only saved, but sanctified and pursue holiness together. A time when people experience deep, emotional healing, deep spiritual healing, deep physical healing, where people are set free from demons, where signs and wonders are poured out like water over us. 
If we are going to be a people who pursue after a future where God is alive and moving in our midst, we have to be a people who are willing to take our idols off of our mantle and pursue after the Lord. If we want to be a people who pursue after what the Spirit does in Scripture, that the pages of our Bible doesn't have to be stories about what God used to do. They can be promises about what God will do and what God can do in our midst. One thing Erica does, she didn't know I was sharing this, so apologies, Erica. Um, one thing Erica does is prophetic art, which is the, the, she'll be praying for something and the Lord will give her either a picture or a word and she'll draw it. And so she drew uh, this picture. I asked her to pray for the sermon as I was kind of having a hard time getting it together. And as we were praying about it and as we were talking about it, we got the sense that this picture wasn't necessarily for me, but this picture was for you all. That this is the word that the Lord wants to give us. Bright future, bold faith. Other way around. Bright faith, bold future. Thank you. Bright future, Bright faith, bold future. I'll get it eventually. <laughs> Whatever it says up there, that's what the Lord wants you to know. Bright faith, bold future. And it's this picture of a rocket ship and it's taking off. And the Lord wants to have us go to new places, explore different areas of our faith that we've maybe never explored before, to go on an adventure with him, to go as he elevates us to places that we have never been, that this is where God wants to lead us forward. And friends, I can't desire this for you. I can't want this for you. I can give the best of sermons. I can be the most eloquent speaker that y'all have ever heard. I can come up here and say the same thing again and again until I'm blue in the face. But I can't make you want to pursue after this future and pursue after the Lord and the future that he wants for you. That's something that y'all have to claim a hold of yourself. And if we are going to be a people who pursue godliness who pursue holiness, who grab a hold of the promises that we see in Scripture. If we are going to be that people who fully rely on him, then we have to cast down our Baal and Asherah pole. Prophet Isaiah gives this image of what that looks like in Isaiah 41. Band, y'all can come back up. Isaiah 41, verse 21, it says this. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Tell us, you idols, what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were, so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or why don't you declare to us the things to come? Tell us what the future holds, so we may know that you are God's. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we can be dismayed or filled with fear. But you are less than nothing, talking about idols. You are less than nothing, and your works are utterly worthless. Whoever chooses you is detestable. And I just love this image that the prophet here paints. Put your idols to test before Jesus. 
That was what I did with my video games. I was like, all right, Lord, if you're asking me to give up this idol to you, if you're asking me to give this to you, you're going to have to fill in the gaps because I can't do it without masking my fear. I'm going to need you to do something, Jesus. You're going to have to prove yourself that you're better than this idol, and he did. Call of Isaiah, put your idols to the test before Yahweh. Put your idol to the test before Jesus and see how much better Jesus is. See how much better Jesus is in the light of our idolatry. See the power and light and love of Jesus. Let's fully rely on him, not him plus my Baal, plus my Asherah pole, but Jesus and Jesus only. As you come up for Holy Communion, there are going to be uh, response questions up on the screen. I encourage you to just spend some time just confessing to the Lord what the idol is that he's bringing to your heart or your mind. Friends, are you content with having Jesus plus idols? Are you content with just Jesus? And also, what idol is God asking you to give to him? On the night in which Jesus was betrayed on the night in which he came to conquer sin and death. He took bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And after the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, God the Father, and said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many For the forgiveness of sins, whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. And on these gifts of bread and juice, make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. Lord, just pour out a fresh spirit in this place. Lord, as we hand our idols over to you, let us be a people who receive more in abundance than we could ever dream possible or even imagine. Your scripture promises that you are a God who is able to do infinitely more than we can even ask or imagine. So Lord, we grab hold of that promise. We ask you to come and move again. Move again in our lives like you haven't before. Set our eyes on Jesus, set our eyes on the cross, set our eyes on the resurrection that you are calling us to. Amen.